Good to be together, guys. Um, if you're watching us online, glad you've joined us that way. And if you are uh, somebody who's new, maybe you, uh, for the first time, are checking us out, my name's Todd, and I would love the chance to meet you if I haven't. Well, listen, I am not a big kind of camping kind of guy, but a number of years ago, I was talked into going on a three-day backpacking trip with a good friend of mine. I mean, this was like, this is like roughing it camping, right? We're staying in like a two-man tent, which everybody knows is like a one-man tent with two people in it. Now, we got to the end of the first day. We're in the Smoky Mountains. We get to the top of this mountain, and we settle in for the night into our cozy two-man tent, and we're about to fall asleep, and in the back of my mind, I remembered something that there's bears in the Smoky Mountains. A little nervous. But I went to sleep anyway, only to be woken up an hour later by a growling sound. Right? It freaked me out. The growling sound was not like far away. It was like right there. I mean, right outside of our tent, there was something growling. And over time, as I thought more about it, I was like, there is a bear right outside the tent. And I freaked. Because in my mind, I'm going, at any point, this bear is going to tear into the tent. And I am toast. I mean, right there on that mountain, I'm like, is this how it's going to end? Right? Is this, is this where it all, my remains are going to be found on this mountain? And I just sat there as still as I could possibly sit and just prayed to God, Lord, I've given my life to you in ministry. Would you spare mine today? And, you know, as I am doing that, I'm thinking all of these things. And by the way, the, 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 the bear just never stops. So like the the growling was like every five, ten seconds, just constantly going off for like an hour. And I'm thinking all kinds of things like, how big is the bear? You know, can I fight him? Uh, how fast do they run? Can I outrun him? What should I do if he does tear into the tent? Do I just lay still and play dead? Does that work? Or do I just run? You know, all these things are going through my mind but it just keeps happening over and over again, and I'm just like, any minute that bear is going to get me. And what I couldn't believe, though, is that the friend of mine that was right next to me in the tent could not be woken up by this. It's like, what? How can you not wake up? So I was like, I got to wake him up at some point, because if we have to run, like, he's got to know. So I sit up, because his head's on the other side of the tent, and I sit up to wake him up, and all of a sudden, the, the growling sound sounds a whole lot closer and I realized in that moment that it was the bear was my friend. He was snoring, and it sounded exactly like a grizzly bear. And all of a sudden, my anxiety came way down. I tell you that story because today we're actually going to talk about anxiety. And that was one of the best pictures of what anxiety looks like. I think for all of us, because what I was doing in that moment is I was so focused and convinced in my mind that there was a bear outside of the tent that I was doing everything I can to try to figure out how to control it, but I literally had no control over anything. For the rest of the trip, I had my head on a swivel, like, where's the bear? Because of that experience. Listen, anxiety is something a lot of us struggle with. Jesus talks about anxiety in the Bible, and we're going to get there. This is week two of our 40 Days with Jesus series, and we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. We're preaching through it, but also we're asking you that you might consider going through it on your own personally. 
So we've designed a reading plan for you. If you haven't started it, you can check out our website or the app, and you can start it. It's never too late to start reading the Bible, but it's all leading up to 40 days before Easter, the greatest holiday in the church calendar. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. And by the way, you can open your Bibles there if you need a Bible or you want to follow along with a hard copy. We've got these blue Bibles kind of scattered every few chairs. You can pick one up. If you need a Bible, you are welcome to take one of these home, and it's yours to keep. It's our gift to you. But let's get going in this. This is what Jesus says about anxiety. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, last verse, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Three things that I want to talk about in regards to anxiety today. This is the outline. Number one is the soundtrack of anxiety. Number two is the root of anxiety. And number three is the therapy for anxiety. So the soundtrack, the root, and the therapy. Right here in this passage, let's dive in. First is the soundtrack. I want to read the very first part of this again. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. How did he know? <laughs> how did he know how many of us struggle with anxiety? The reason I want to bring that up is because right off the bat, what stands out to me in this passage is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus was talking about things that are just as relevant now as they were 2,000 years ago. Anxiety is a thing, and I would say even for so many of us, it's a thing that's bigger than maybe it ever has been. So let's talk about anxiety for a minute. Uh, when it comes to anxiety, I want to describe a little bit about it, even from a biological standpoint. This is what I learned this week, that uh, anxiety, the reason people have anxiety is it starts with something that's natural to our bodies, that when we perceive danger, like the bear outside the tent, we perceive danger, our bodies are designed to trigger or to alert ourselves to that danger to the point where we will fight or flight or freeze. Now, when anxiety gets unhealthy, it is like we are in this constant state that there is a perceived danger and our bodies are constantly being triggered and alerted to perceive danger all the time and to the point where it can be really debilitating. Now, uh, I told you the story about the bear outside the tent, and I think that's a really good picture of what anxiety is. I 
really was convinced in my mind that the bear was outside of my tent until I realized it was my friend <laughs> snoring. He sounded a lot like a bear. Now, what I want to tell you, though, is this, that anxiety is the bear outside of the tent. Okay? Anxiety is the perpetual bear outside of the tent, whether the bear's there or not. And what happens is we, we get really freaked out and we start thinking a lot about it. And that's when anxiety begins to raise up within us and it can be debilitating. Verse 27, Jesus says this, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So what Jesus is saying is this, Your anxiety cannot control the outcome of whatever you're anxious about. Your anxiety can't even add a single hour to your life. But if you struggle with anxiety, you know this to be true. What happens with anxiety is we believe a lie. And the lie is this, that by perseverating about it or thinking constantly about it all the time, that maybe we are in more control of the outcome than we actually are. That's what anxiety does. It makes you feel like you're in control of something that you're not in control of. It actually gives you this false sense of control. That's what anxiety does. Now, um, one of the things that anxiety does is if it, if it really grips you, then it becomes almost like this soundtrack that is playing in the back of your life constantly. Everybody loves a, a good soundtrack because what soundtracks do is they allow you to feel whatever the movie or the you know, TV show wants you to feel. Without soundtracks, movies and TV shows would be lame. All right, let me show you a few examples of this. So if I'm watching Rocky, I am pumped. That's the feeling they want you to get, right? You know, it's like, come on now, let's do this. I don't fight, I'm just kidding. All right, and then there's, uh, there is another show called This Is Us. Anybody know that show? Yeah, last, last hour they were like, oh, I love This Is Us. Um, yeah, this is us, like, reflective, you know, makes you think a lot about the big things and meaningful things in life. Family, generations. And then there's, uh, if you've ever seen a Liam Neeson movie like Taken, you ever seen the movie Taken? It's thrilling and it makes you like feel like you're on the edge of your seat, like something's about to happen at any point in time. Kind of like this. So listen, what I want you to know is when you experience anxiety and it really begins to grip you, it's like that Liam Neeson soundtrack playing in your mind. There's a constant over and over um, soundtrack in your mind going, something's about to happen, there's a perceived danger, and whether it happens or not, you are constantly thinking about it. And then here's what we do. We actually act like Liam Neeson. And Liam Neeson, if you've ever seen these movies, he is trying to game plan ahead of the enemy the whole time, thinking about what could possibly happen and how he can control the outcome. So he's constantly thinking about it. The only problem is we aren't Liam Neeson, and it's not a movie that we're living. It's our life. But we do the same thing where we're in our minds with our anxiety. We're thinking maybe we can control the outcome. And so we're game planning. We're figuring out what we're going to do if this happens, if that happens. 
The problem is, of course, we cannot control the outcome. Anxiety gives you this false sense of control. And the only thing that we can do is change the soundtrack that's playing in our minds. And so that's where I want to go today. But I want to move to my next point, which is not only is there a soundtrack, but there's also a root to anxiety or the root of anxiety. Let me explain. Verse 34. It's the last verse in this section. It says this, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is saying in this passage is, is listen, your anxiety about tomorrow cannot change the outcome of tomorrow. And by the way, tomorrow you're going to have something new that you're anxious about for the next day, and you won't be able to control that either. I heard it said this week that anxiety is the will to control the uncontrollable. It's the will to try to control the uncontrollable. The reason Jesus talks about anxiety is because anxiety becomes a real problem, especially for those who follow Jesus. And here's why. When we get anxiety, it's like we are trying to control something that we know full well only God can control. Right? That's, that's the problem for us as Christians. What we're doing is we are trying to play the part of God instead of just playing the part of human being where God is in control and we are not. Now, all of this is rooted back from the very beginning of creation. It all stems back in the beginning. Let me explain what I mean. When God created Adam and Eve, he had put them in the Garden of Eden. And God made it all, and it was perfect just how he made it, but God put Adam and Eve in charge of everything in the garden. He actually made them in charge. So God created it. He was in control of it, but Adam and Eve were supposed to manage it. And that was a really good thing, by the way. That's why work, the work that we do, is not a result of sin coming into the world. It's actually a result of creation. That God ordained us to have responsibilities, to manage the things that he has created, and that's a really good thing, depending on if you like your job or not. Right? Some people are like, my job's not from creation, it's from the fall. You know? but, but I'm telling you, it is actually the way that God designed it to be. Now, here's what happened in the beginning. Adam and Eve were in control of the things God created, but they weren't satisfied with that. They wanted more control than they had. And you know the story that the serpent came and showed up to tempt Adam and Eve. And what happened is the serpent was trying to get Adam and Eve to eat the fruit from the tree that God said, don't do it. And here's what the serpent said. Here's the lie that the serpent gave them. Genesis 3 Chapter, uh, verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. If you eat, it's going to be great. You're going to be like God. See, what Adam and Eve thought is, wait a second, that's a great thing. If we eat this, we're going to be more like God. Do you mean that instead of just doing our jobs, we could now have God's job? Instead of just being in control of what he created, like we can actually be in control like God. And Adam and Eve are like, well, I, well, yeah, we want that. Who wouldn't want a promotion 
to God's job. And then they thought something else. And by the way, if we could have had that promotion all along and been in control, that maybe God's holding out on us. Maybe he doesn't care about us as much as we thought he cared about us. See, what happens is Adam and Eve, in that moment, believed two lies that I think all of us believe, especially when we are in the midst of fear-inducing anxiety, and they are these two. Maybe God is not in control, and maybe he doesn't love us. Maybe God isn't in control, and maybe he doesn't love us. Maybe he's not in as much control as I thought, because if we can have control, then God must not be, and maybe he doesn't love us because he must be holding out on us to hold this great opportunity from us. That's what you see. The fall, that's the root of, what happened, of where this all comes from. And of course, what happened with Adam and Eve is they ate the fruit of the tree and sin enters the world. And instead of giving them this amazing control like they had thought it would, life was out of control. And it moved them to fear and insecurity and anxiety at that point actually became a thing for the first time. And I want you to know, I think it's the same thing with all of us, that when we really experience anxiety, it boils down to really not believing two important truths. That God is in control and that he loves us. Those two things. And if we don't believe them, then we are going to struggle with anxiety, sometimes even debilitating anxiety. Now, that leads me to my last point. We have the soundtrack and we have the root, but lastly, we have the therapy. I'm going to spend most of the time on therapy because this is where it's really important. Now, I told you that, that you know, anxiety is like a soundtrack, like a Liam Neeson soundtrack playing in the background of our mind all the time where we're constantly looking around going, something's going to happen, and it's this perceived danger that we're afraid of. And what I had said is the key to this the key to getting rid of anxiety is to sh change the soundtrack in your mind. You've got to change the soundtrack. And Jesus talks about how to do that. But before I get into that, I want to tell you, my uh, wife is a counselor, and many of you know that. She's a clinical counselor, and I am not. But I have a lot of respect for that line of work, because I think what counselors do, from what I've learned, is their number one goal for clients is to try to help clients to change the way they think. Just change the way they think. Because you go to counseling because you have the wrong thinking. You have a, something's going on in your mind that is debilitating you, and you need to try to shift your thinking. That's what counselors do. Now, before I go any further, let me tell you this too. If you do struggle with anxiety, something I want you to know is that reading through this passage and listening to this sermon isn't going to heal you from your anxiety. Because I really do believe that counseling and having somebody skilled who can ask you the right questions and, and kind of give you this truth, but over a long period of time, is going to be really helpful for you. But counselors help you change your thinking, and that's what Jesus was doing too. Now, before I tell you what Jesus did and why I think it's really beautiful, I want to show you an example of the worst counselor that I've ever seen. Now, go ahead and watch this clip. I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. So I uh, write them down? 
well, if, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay. Here, you're there. Stop it. <laughs> O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. But I, I'm compelled to. My mom used to call me... No, 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 no. No, we, we don't go there. But I've been having this dream. No, we don't go there either. But my horoscope did say... We definitely don't go there. Just, <laughs> just stop it. You ever have a counselor like that? Just, just run, right? Um, classic, classic little clip. But the reason I show it to you is because Jesus doesn't do that either. Jesus doesn't say just, hey, stop it. The key is just stop being anxious. What I want to show you in this passage is he actually begins to work through something with you to help you to try to begin to change your thinking. And he asks you questions, and he gets you to think differently. What Jesus tries to do is what every good counselor tries to do. He's a great counselor. He tries to get you to replace your wrong thinking, your faulty thinking, your sinful thinking, with the right thinking. And that's what he does in this passage right here. Now, before I get into what he does, there's two th things that are faulty thinking here, and I already mentioned them. Our faulty thinking in the worst part of our anxiety is this. Maybe God's not in control, and maybe he doesn't love us. Those are faulty ways to think. So Jesus says, all right, you gotta think differently. And he gives us two things to consider, two examples. One's about birds, and one's about flowers. Let's look at this. Verse 26 he says, look at the birds. Consider the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then a couple verses later, in verse 28, he says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you, of little faith? Two examples. Jesus says, first, think about the birds. God has a plan for the birds. He has provided food for them. And he's like, you notice, birds, like, they don't do anything to get it. They don't have kitchens where they prepare the food and pantries and refrigerators in their little nests, right? They don't have any of that. God just provides it for them. The other thing is the lilies of the field. The lilies of the field don't do anything to be stunningly beautiful. God just does it for them. Like if you're a photographer, I know there are a lot of photographers, you would love a huge field full of fully bloomed lilies because that would be one of the best backgrounds you could ever take pictures in. You couldn't pay for that, right? You, you couldn't make a background and pay enough money to have as good of a background of that. That's what God does. And it's not something the lilies did, it's what God did. 
Now, both of those examples are amazing because what you see in both of those examples is that God is saying, if he does that for the birds, if he does that for the lilies, how much more does he do that for you? And the difference, by the way, is that he created you in his image. That's different than birds. It's different than flowers, right? And Jesus came to give his life for you. How much more does he care for you? See, he gives you these two things to think about so that you can begin to go, my faulty thinking is God's not in control. He can't be because it was, this would never happen to me. You know, or God doesn't love me. Both of those things are faulty thinking, but Jesus is like, hey, hey, let me, let, just look around. Just stop for a second and think. Think a little different. Look at the birds. Look at the lilies. And when we do that, you will start to begin to change the way you think. Now, when we think of these two truths, God is in control and he loves us. It combines for a word that um, we don't use very often. It's called providence. You ever heard this word, God's providence? It kind of means, you know, it means two things. It means one is God has a plan. Like he is working a plan for you. He's in control and his plan is good. So it means both of those things. God is in control and he loves you. The in, within the word providence is another word, provide. That word provide tells you a lot that God is in control and in his control, he wants to provide for everything that you need. He is in control and he loves you. And that is a beautiful thing. Now, a lot of people will look at, when we use the word providence, it's God is in control. You might ask a question, well, what about human choice? What about how do my choices affect God's control? And that's a great question. It's a very philosophical question. Uh, a couple things I would say, though. First is we look at the birds of the air, just like Jesus said. He provides all the food they need, but the birds still have to actually go get it, right? It's there for them, but there's some kind of action that the birds have to take. And it's the same with human beings, right? God's plan and human decision don't have to be mutually exclusive. They don't, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Both can happen at the same time. One of the uh, best examples of this is something I heard from Tim Keller, who's one of my favorite pastors. Tim Keller said this, when Jesus died on the cross, was that God's plan or did people kill him? Did, was it God's plan or did people kill him? What's the answer? It's, it's both, right? Both, both are true, and ironically, it was God's plan to save the people who killed him. And another example is this. Last week, if you were here, I talked about uh, the genealogy of Jesus or the family tree of Jesus and how the family tree of Jesus was kind of sketchy. There were a lot of people who made some really bad decisions in the line of Jesus' family tree. And their decisions they were responsible for, but yet their decisions could not thwart God's plan to have Jesus come through that family tree into our world to accomplish salvation on our behalf. 
And I love these two examples because what you see is as as many times as human beings by their own choice tried to mess it up, they could not change God's plan to come and to save them. And what you see in the person of Jesus is a perfect picture of what it looks like that God is in control and God loves you. This passage culminates in verse 33 says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This is, this is the key verse of this whole passage because what Jesus is saying is the key to helping you with your anxiety is to take your eyes off of the anxiety and pay attention to a completely different kingdom. Now, we've got the soundtrack going on in the back of our minds, this haunting soundtrack of all the perceived dangers that are going on. Jesus says, hey, listen, if that's what you're thinking about, that's your kingdom. That's the way you think. God's kingdom works completely different. It's a whole different kingdom, and if you fix your eyes on his kingdom, it will begin to change everything. Because in God's kingdom, he had a plan, and his plan is for you, and here's what it was that he would send Jesus down to this earth to give his life in exchange for your sins. That if you would place your faith in Jesus, you know that you are saved and that Jesus rose from the dead and eventually ascended into heaven where the Bible says he is at the right hand of God the Father. That means he's on a throne. That means he's the king. In God's kingdom, Jesus is king. That means he is in complete control. And one day he's going to take you home. And when you get close enough, you're going to see the scars in his hands and his feet to know that he really does love you. And his plan, that he's in control, and he loves you. And no more clear spot is that seen than in the cross of Jesus. But some of you might go, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) But I'm still anxious. But what if, right? What if this happens? And what if that happens? And what, what if the bear really is there and comes in? What if my worst fear becomes a reality? And I get that. But here is the beautiful thing about the kingdom that Jesus came to build. It can turn your what if into an even if. Your what if into an even if. Even if your worst fear becomes a reality. Even if the bear gets into the tent, even if things go horribly wrong because they can, Jesus is still on the throne. And he's in control, and he loves you, and he gives his life to prove it. So here's what I, I want you to know. If you're struggling with anxiety today, it is not a simple fix, but Jesus gives you some great like therapeutic things in here to think about. And what I want you to know is if you're struggling with anxiety, one thing you need to know is that Jesus understands how you feel. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he was actually sweating blood, and he was like, is there any other way for this to happen other than me going to the cross? But he said, not my will, but yours be done. And he said that to God. Because Jesus knew that God was in control, and that his plan was for our 
good so that what Jesus was going to do was going to be the perfect execution of everything he's always wanted for us to be in relationship with him. So as we close, I want to challenge you in two ways, and that's this, that number one, whatever you're anxious about today, you need to remember if God was willing to execute salvation on your behalf by giving his one and only son in exchange for your sins so that you could be with God forever, how can you not trust him with tomorrow? How can you not trust him with the week ahead? And by the way, the last thing I want you to know is this, that if God did all of that, then you are in a kingdom where your what if can turn into an even if. Even if, even if we never have that child that I want to have. Even if uh, the diagnosis is worse than I thought it was. Even if that loved one doesn't make it, even though we've been praying. Even if my worst fear becomes a reality. Jesus is on the throne. He's in complete control. He loves you, and one day you will be with him forever where anxiety will be no more. Father, we are so grateful for who you are, and I can't help but think of Romans 8 that says, he who did not spare his only son but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? Lord, help us to trust in your providence today that you love us, that you're in control, and that in your control, you want the very best for us. Lord, I ask today that we would trust you more and more, that we would do that on a daily basis because that's how quick anxiety creeps in. We want to change the soundtrack now, even as we worship. In Christ's name we pray, amen.